Our summer series is wrapping up, which means that the summer is wrapping up, which is indeed a sad thing. But we will overcome that here this morning. And to rejoice that we have saved the best for last next weekend, uh, all about him, Romans 8, that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Can't wait for that. We've been teaching on a number of things. This series has been intentionally a practical series on just what it means to do the Christian walk, to live the Christian life. And in this series, we have, uh, we've covered how to have personal time with God. We've talked about how to be a Christian father. Uh, we have uh, talked about sharing your faith, Christian friendship. We've talked about purity and how to affair-proof your marriage and how to live with modest bodies and modest eyes. And we have talked about a number of things in this series. Uh, have you enjoyed it? Do you feel equipped? I hope so. It's intentionally an equipping series. And today is as well, our text today is Colossians 3. If you would turn there, please, if you have a Bible, Colossians 3. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. I know you just sat down, but why don't we stand for the reading of God's word today? Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all, These put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God illumine these truths to us today and help us to understand and apply them. Thank you. You may be seated. Our text today that we're focusing on is verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want to put a painting up here. Perhaps you've seen this before. This is a painting. The name of the painting is The Greatest Contortionist Ever. And I don't know exactly what the author was or the painter was intending as he 
drew this, but I suspect that what he was trying to communicate is a man who is undone. A man who has, uh, in his life, come to a place where things are not making sense. Like in his body, there is, there's no cohesion, there's no harmony. Really important things to him, like his hand is over here, uh, and his leg is over there, and his head is upside down. And what his body is needing, and I think what he's trying to communicate, what his life is needing, was something that would bring this whole thing together. A unifying principle, a truth to have at the core. Something that would bring sense and purpose into the various aspects of his life. I wonder today, does this painting, does this, does this look like your life today? You've got all kinds of categories that are important to you. You've got your family. You've got uh, your, your uh, career. You've got your health. You have friendships and relationships. You have your career. You have your dreams. You have your resources and your possessions. You have hobbies and things that you are about in your life. And these things are all important to you, but they are all sort of everywhere. And there's, there is not much that is connected to some reality that brings the dimensions of your life into some semblance of order. Are you perhaps like this man, contorting yourself in your life? Many people are. Sometimes we look at our life and we feel this and we think, you know, the solution to this is I need to get my, prior- my priorities straight. Or maybe you have a friend who will say that to you. You know what? Your life is in chaos, man. You need to get your priorities right. And so we, we make priority lists, like what's really important to me. And there's some good in this. In fact, I remember when I was growing up, it was very common that they would teach us uh, the joy principle. The priority list. Many of you probably know this one. Jesus, J, Jesus, O, Others, why? You. Okay? Jesus, others, you. And it spelled joy. Easy to remember and probably helpful in some ways. Or maybe people, you'll hear people, you know, interview coaches or famous people and they say, well, uh, you know, it's God, family, work. That's my priority list. And so we, we try to get all these things together by trying to prioritize them. And there's probably good in that. But what happens in doing that is we miss something essential that God is trying and is doing in the life of every true and authentic believer in Christ. And it is to that that this passage is referring. Now before we get into that, just notice... A moment that this section I read is, is, it's just a section on practical Christian living. He begins in, uh, verse 12 to describe attitudes of Christian living. We see in verse 13 and 14 how important forgiveness is in Christian living. And then in verse 16 we have the role and the fruit of the Word of God in our lives. And then we get to verse 17 and we have this this like overarching principle that all these other things are subservient to. This overarching purpose that is intended to be a guiding northern light for everything else that I'm doing. And he says, 
Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now let's begin, first of all, by noticing how all-encompassing this is. Notice that he repeats three times that this is, this is everything. He says, first of all, whatever you do. Now what's not included in that in your life? That's pretty much everything, isn't it? Now just in case something was getting slippery and sliding out from under that guiding principle, he says, next, word or deed. Now what's that included in what I say and what I do in my life? Not very much. That's pretty like all-inclusive, isn't it? And then just in case we didn't get the first go around with it and we didn't get the second go around with it, he adds this now. He says, do everything. Now why would the Apostle Paul, writing to uh, the church at Colossae, have to say three times to these Christians... That everything that they're to do is to be in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, I suspect it's because there were in the church at Colossae a lot of people like people in the church at Bethel. People who wanted very much God in their life. Oh, I want Jesus. I want the benefits of Jesus in my life. Praise Jesus. But... At the same time, they also wanted these other things, priorities in their life, to be the way that they wanted them to be. And for them to have control over them. And for them to be not under this, like, doing everything in the name of Jesus. I mean, why would I want a little bit of faith and a little bit of Christianity and maybe a little bit of religion to get in the way of me having fun in these other categories of my life? I mean, I want Jesus and these other things. But don't bring those other things together. I don't want no, I don't want, I don't want him messing up this other stuff that I really love and I'm into. They had people like that back then. Can you believe that? Shocking. So he emphasizes it three times. Whatever you do, word or deed, everything. Okay, we get that. Now, the question is, how do we do this? This is a command. How on earth do we go about getting everything under or done in the name of the Lord Jesus? And that's the message today. The first thing I want to say to you is, the only way that this is even possible is with a new heart and a new set of desires. The natural man will look at this and say, why would I want to do that? And would even be frightened to think that maybe I would have to live my life in a manner where everything I'm doing, I'm trying to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't want to do that. In fact, we look around the world and we see man's attempt not to do that. Think about, think about just the news this week, what's going on in the nations and what's going on in various aspects of society and what's happening. Think about people that you know, neighbors or co-workers, their, their marriages, their families, even their inner turmoil. What do we see happening? We see 
fragmentation, don't we? We see division. We see the fruit of what sin does. Sin always shatters. It never brings things together. It always divides us. And that can be relationally. It can be with me and God. And it can be within my own heart as I feel within me a kind of brokenness and my life is not making sense and there's no, there's no core, there's no center. This is what sin does. It breaks us. It breaks us down, shatters us. And so in the world then we see that there's all these attempts to put it all together. And so we have philosophies and philosophers that come along and they say this is the way to do it. And they last, you know, they have a best-selling book. It lasts three years as people try it. Oprah puts it on the list. People all get involved in that. Three years later, they're ready for something else. Why? It didn't work. It didn't last. And that has been true down through the ages. Man in a search of putting it all back together again. The natural man cannot do it. And not one of us here on our own can do it. Here's why. In order for me to want what that verse is telling me, I need to have a new set of desires. And this is part of what God, listen Bethel, it is part of what God does when he saves a sinner. Is that he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new set of desires. And this is known as The miracle of regeneration. Say that word with me. Regeneration. Regeneration is new birth. To be born again. It is a spiritual reality within me. It is an explosion of life that the Holy Spirit brings where suddenly I was dead. Now I am made alive. And with that being made alive, I have now these new desires that prior to this I never would have had before. Listen to what the Bible says, some other passages. John 3, famously to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Ephesians 2, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, there we have it, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what we see then is that when a sinner turns in faith and receives Christ as Savior, that the Holy Spirit within us does what we cannot do on our own. He makes us alive spiritually And he makes us alive to spiritual realities, including desiring what God wants in my life. Which up to this point, I would never want. I mean, you know, this is the case. Think of the looks on the face of your neighbor as you pulled away out of your house this morning. He's out pruning the bushes, trimming the, pulling weeds, you know, washing his car, and you drive away to come to the nine o'clock service, for goodness sakes, 1045 is a little bit more understandable, but the nine o'clock, why would anybody do that, right? There's so many good things to be had in the morning, on a Sunday morning, prior to the nine o'clock service. Why would somebody give themselves to going to a house of worship in order to praise God? The natural man looks at that and says, there goes an idiot as you drive down the road, Right? But you drive down the road to come here today and you do it because you want to. Why do you want to? It is not you. It is a fruit of the Spirit creating within you desires for what God wants in your life. 
It's a fruit of regeneration. If you're a Christian here today, you have been made alive. And now you want to do the thing that before you didn't want to do, but you're not who you were before. You're a new creation. It's a glorious thing. Ezekiel prophesied about this. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And we see in there, see this principle, I will give them one heart and a new spirit. In other words, the sinner whose life has been shattered by sin, and that shattering is with God and with others and most painfully within us as we feel the brokenness of sin. What God does in salvation is he brings all of our pieces back together. He does what, he does what the king's horses and the king's men couldn't do for Humpty Dumpty. He, he puts us back together. He, he gives us inwardly and vertically with him what we were made for. He unites us into one central purpose. So what I'm saying is basically this. If you are not a Christian here today, what we're talking about, you can be inspired to do, but you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do it any more than any of us could do this on our own, apart from regeneration in our own life. This only makes sense and is even desirable... If I have a new heart. Maybe uh, this will help. Here's a little, just a little graph of what I'm talking about. Is that when I become a Christian, I make this profession of faith. That Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my Lord. Okay, I've made that, I've made that profession. And when that happens now... The central reality in my life is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The reign of Christ within my life. Alright? Now i got all these categories in my life. I just put up here family, friendships, media, goals, hobbies, money, body, career. I mean, you could add three or four or five, ten, twenty things in your own life that maybe you would put in your pie. That is part, that is your reality. What this verse is saying to us is that for the believer, central to our reality and to what we're trying to do, is to live out my profession. To make a reality in the categories of my life, the lordship of a resurrected Savior. You get that? Okay. And this is what God does when we are made alive to Him. When we have been born again. I like the lyrics of a third day song on this subject. I was lost when you found me here. And I was broken beyond repair. Then you came along and you sang your song over me. It feels like I am born again. Which brings us back to Colossians 3.17. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How? Like, how do we do that? What does that mean? 
What I think this means is that we have a calling in the walk, in the living of the Christian life, to integrate my faith in the Lordship of Christ into all the categories of my life. To do everything in the name of Jesus is to faithfully represent him in every category of my life. Here's how Matthew Henry explains what this means. According to his command and in compliance with this authority, by strength derived from him, with an eye to his glory, and depending on his merit for the acceptance of what is good and the pardon of what is amiss. I can't say it better than that. To live to the glory of Christ, to live or to do everything in the name of Jesus, is to do it according to his command and in compliance with his authority and with an eye to his glory. Essentially, it is this. It is the projection then of the reign of Christ, his supremacy, his his lordship. It is growing in the Christian life where I am increasingly living everything in my life under that reality. Where Christ is, he's, he's oozing into He's, he's interfering. He's getting in my business in everything in my life. So that my walk then is increasingly consistent with my profession. When I become a Christian, I got habits, I got all kinds of ways of living that are not in conformity with God's will. I become a Christian and say, yes, Jesus is the Lord of my life. I still got all this baggage and all these ways of thinking and living that are not consistent with what God wants. But... God is committed, listen, he is committed to transforming his people into the likeness of Christ, which we're going to talk about next week. And that process is the process of increasingly doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And God is committed to this in the life of every real and true believer. He is going to accomplish it. And so what I want to say to you today is this. Are you are you with God in that process? Or are you fighting him in it? And it seems to me that I perceive that there are many people who profess faith in Jesus, but in reality in their walk they are in a kind of battle with God. And God has all kinds of resources to win that battle, doesn't he? And I just began to list a few of them. Here are some that he oftentimes uses. He uses trials in our life to break our hearts and to make them soft and willing to come under his lordship. Many of you, no doubt, are involved in that right now. He disciplines every son that he loves, Hebrews says. And if you don't get discipline from God the Father, you're not his son is what the text says. He uses weakness in our life. Paul talked about that. He brings thorns in, uh, in the flesh, is Paul's description of what, how God did that in his life. 
The results of a troubled conscience as inwardly we feel, we're Christians, but we feel the tension of living apart from the Lordship of Christ in an area of our life. How about difficult people in con- and conflict? Why is that pain in the neck person in your life? Might it be so that you might give that aspect, some aspect of your life to the Lordship of Christ? I think God oftentimes does that. Maybe go up to them on tomorrow and go, thank you for being such a pain in the neck. God is using you in my life in profound ways. The consequences of sin and foolish decisions that we make, where on the other side of it we're like, okay, God, I don't want to live my life the way that I've been living it. I see where this is getting me. Now, I made this list, and I was thinking about it yesterday before the service, and God has all kinds, this is like the scary list, okay? And God does use all these things, but he has so many other ways where he basically woos us, he, he woos us to wanting the greatness of Christ in the areas of our life, like, and I just do these off, my, off the top of my head, the beauty of Christ. As we come to see the beauty of Christ, it makes us want him more in our life. The role of the Word of God, as we read it, study it, hear it proclaimed, even what's going on right now, I hope, the power of the Word of God to change our hearts so that we increasingly want what God wants in our life. Think about what a blessing it is to have another fellow believer, fellowship, where we look at their life and we admire them and we see qualities in them that we wish were more true in our life and it kind of woos us towards a more Christ-centered life. There's some, some, maybe there's others, I'm sure that there are. But the Lord, in other words, he can use things like this, but he so often uses, he, he kind of draws us to himself so that we want what he wants in our life. Not just some of our life, but all that I am. Again, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. There is no category of your life that God is not committed to sanctifying. That God is not committed to your active surrender to Jesus. How do you feel about that? The natural man is sitting here today going, I don't like this one bit. I'm happy to go to church. The wife dragged me or my mom has been nagging me or whatever it is. I'm happy to go to church, sort of do the bare minimum. But what that dude's talking about, I don't want any part of it. And the reason that you don't want any part of it, I would suggest, is that you do not have a new heart. Because a Christian will want, not that there can't be struggle with it, but will want what God wants in their life. And what God wants in our life is everything. Everything. Jesus said this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, if you are a Christian here today and you're a little unsure as to whether or not you actually want that whole reign of Jesus in every aspect of my life, may I suggest to you that that is real living. The abundant life that Jesus is describing certainly includes eternal life. But he intends in this life to put our lives back together again. 
to give us a central controlling reality that my life is focused on, that brings all the aspects that I have as priorities around one central core truth. And that when I am living that way, I am really living. Do you believe that? The natural man doesn't want this because he wants to be king over his own life. He wants autonomy. He wants things his way. I want to be in charge of my life. It's my life. It's my job. It's my money. It's my house. It's my family. It is, it is, it's mine. Jesus talks about this struggle in Mark 8. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, to be king of the world, and forfeit his life? The point that Jesus is making here is... To, to us, it may feel as I actively surrender everything in my life that I am losing my life. I'm losing control. I'm not, I'm not in charge anymore. I have lost it. Jesus says, if you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. But in the losing of your life, you actually gain it. Because that life is real living. It is what we were made for. It is bringing everything around a central truth. It is the, it is the putting uh, together back again of who we are and who we were made to be. And my burden today is the way that so many people try to compartmentalize their faith. Oftentimes the sum of their Christian experience is... When I was younger, or way back when, I had this experience with God. I went forward at some event. I prayed some prayer. Okay, well, that's great. Happy for that. So did I. But what difference is that making in your life today? Or people who say, I will give to Jesus what I think is the bare minimum that I need to give. And so I will give him my Sunday morning. I will give him a little bit of time. I will give him the bare minimum of money, resources, talents, whatever it is that I sort of feel like I have to do. Like, you know, a teacher, what do I got to do to get a C here? I will give that to him, but the rest of it is mine. And I don't care what the pastor says, and I don't care what verse you bring up, and I don't care because it is my life. How many of us here today living their lives that way? And there's no way to tell here on Sunday morning. Because this is the category that you're giving to God. The real question is not Sunday morning. But what dominates your thoughts and your heart? And what is your goal on Tuesday? And on Friday night? And next month? Who are you living for? Who is the king of your heart and your life? The Christian life is way more than simply a commitment that I made at some point in the past. It is a way of life. It is an entire reality that God is committed to bringing us into a position of surrender under. So there's way more to it. And 
Again, if you're, if you do not have the Holy Spirit right now, you're like, I don't like that idea. I don't want that. Maybe in heaven I'll want that. If you don't want it now, why are you going to want it there? Go to hell. That's where everybody that wanted to be masters of their own destiny get to go. Join them. Because heaven is for people who want the reign of Christ. Because it is a place where he is supreme. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun. Not just that I can see it, but by it I see everything else. Is your faith defining everything in your life? Is it the core? Is Christ at the center? Are you doing everything as best you can? Nobody does everything, but as best you can, wanting to surrender everything to him. Now this verse gives us another clue as to how to do this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Now what is the connection between doing everything to the glory of Christ and giving thanks? Well, we've established already the only way that I would ever want this is if I have a new heart, okay, a new set of desires. Part of this heart is wanting what God is doing in my life. So for a Christian, when I see aspects of my life increasingly not under my direct, like, autonomous control, but where I am actively surrendering it to what Jesus wants, I view this as a good thing. This is not a bad thing. In fact, it is an opportunity to give thanks to God for it. For me to give thanks for something, I have to think it's a good thing. You know, kids, for example, kids, they can't hide this, have you noticed? A child who is given something that either isn't what they wanted or isn't quite the way that they wanted it, they can't hide the look on their face, right? And there's mom going, what do you say? And they're like, thank you, you know. It's duty, thank you, totally. The lips out like this, you know, and you can just tell they are, This it's not... It's not what they wanted, and so there's not thanksgiving in their heart. But when you give them something that they want, something that they are desiring, now this is a good thing. And now what do you say? Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I'm so excited. Right? Why? Because it's a good thing. Christian, do you want the reign of Christ in every area of your life? And when that increasingly is happening... Is this a source of thanksgiving? I fear that many Christians don't get this. Many Christians, again, I think, or I don't even know if I... Many professing Christians, I'll let God sort it out. Their faith is basically a get-out-of-hell card that I want to have in my back pocket right here. Because I don't know when I'm going to die, and I just need to make sure that I can pull that thing out, you know. Member at such and such a church when I'm standing before the pearly gates. Hello? Went forward at the Billy Graham crusade. Billy Graham. 
It's got to get me in this place. Perfect Sunday school attendance. When I was in fifth grade. (laughs) Never missed. It's got to mean something. I uh, know all the books of the Bible in order. And a lot of verses I learned in Awana. It's got to mean something. And we rest in all these things that we hope are just enough to get us in. And then we run across verses like this one and others, like 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And maybe in a moment of clarity, we consider that our Savior Jesus, what did he hold back? What was he self-managing? Nothing. Nothing. He gave his life. You want to talk about total surrender? Christ gave it all. And in a moment of clarity, the enlightened individual with the Holy Spirit in them will be challenged to take up their cross and follow him. And this is what God is doing in our life. Too often our lives, I think, look like this when it comes back to the pie. We're happy to give them a few things. Other things, no, don't you dare. Don't you dare touch that. Preacher was stepping on toes today, getting in my business. It's my business. Don't be suggesting that if I'm going to be a good Christian, i got to, you know, give that over to Jesus. I've heard that before. I'm good at not listening to that. What I'm saying is that God loves you too much to let you continue to live for anything less than Christ. He will sanctify each of us and is doing that right now. I wonder if you can look in the mirror and think about your life from that perspective. Why is this going on in my life? What is God purging in my heart? What value or priority have I been living for? What little idol do I have that God is in the process of crushing so that I might be truly alive and to live for Christ? Are you in a point of active surrender? Or is your faith simply a little hope to get out of hell? It's similar to what I overheard two of our pastors this week say, talking about an individual, a man for whom there was a ministry concern. And uh, the one pastor said to the other, he said, well, you better get a hold of him soon because you know deer season starts. And that just went in my ear and down to my heart. And I thought, well, now that says a lot about that individual, doesn't it? What is he really all about? What's at the center of his life? What's at the center of your life? Is it Christ? And are you 
happy to let God have it all. Doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This week, I was cruising through the commons, and uh, I'm going to put that painting back up again if you would. I was cruising through the commons, and there was a couple that was standing there. I didn't know them, and they kind of had that, we want to look, we want to talk to somebody, look on their face. And so I went up to them, and I said, hey, you know, who are you? What's going on? And they said, we, we're, uh, we need to talk to somebody. I said, Okay. So we sat down, and I'm going to summarize here. The woman says, I come to find out, they drove like 45 minutes just to walk in and hope somebody here could help them. They've been to our church a few times. Nice couple liked them. She says, we just had somebody in our family that passed away very shockingly and very suddenly. And now you can start seeing the little moistness in the, ear, in, the, in the eyes starting. And she says, and I cannot get over the video of the, of the state fair stage crash. I've seen it, and it just has, oh. she says, and we have two children, and we just, we're just, oh. and you just see it's just question mark, question mark, question mark. What, what is going on in the world, and what is going on in my life? And I said to her, I said, well, can I just tell you the big story here? Here's the big story. Is that there is a God. And he created the world and everything that's here. And he made us. And he made us uniquely for him. Made us to have a relationship with him. And that relationship was perfect. But... Sin entered into the world when when our forefathers rebelled against God. And part of the judgment that we had on us was that there now would be, there would be brokenness in the world. We would feel broken from him. We would feel broken from one another. We would feel broken within our own hearts. And I said, and doesn't that explain a lot of the things in the world that we see around us? Just brokenness everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I said, but here's the wonderful thing, that God loves us. And in his love, he sent a rescue party. And that rescue party was a person. His name was Jesus, his own son, who came into this world and died, paying the penalty that our sins deserved, paying the price that our sins required, and was resurrected on the third day. And after that said, anybody who believes in me, anybody who becomes my follower, I will forgive their sins and I will restore them to a right relationship with their creator. And I said, and this is, the big, this is the big story. He's coming again. But is this not possibly what you are looking for? You've got this over here, and this isn't making sense over here. You need, you need, you're looking for something at the core, aren't you? And I wonder today if that might not be you. I wonder if possibly, we talk about, we have this picture, you're like, man, that's like my life. That's me right there. Might it not be that what you really need is you need to get saved. You need to give your life to Christ to believe in him as Lord and Savior. And I just offer him to you. Trust, believe in who he was and what he did. And God puts you back together again. 
And if you're a Christian here today, my burden is for many that I perceive have God here and the rest of their life over here. And these two are not coming together. And to you, I want to urge you to actively surrender every area of your life. You can know whether you're there or not by whether you think that's a really good thing and you'd love it. If there was a button I could push for that to happen, I'd push it, Pastor. You're in the right place. But are we surrendered to the Lord? Are we seeking to do everything in our life, every category, to his glory, to extend his reign into the pie of my life? That's the call of this verse and the call of this message and one that I trust the Lord will bless. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for... We just thank you that you do this. It is your grace. We rebelled, we sinned, and yet you want to put us back together. And Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray that every genuine believer here today would want everything that you want in our lives. I pray that that would not be a fearful thing, but a source of thanksgiving. I pray for the person or people here who, uh, they need a new heart, and they want that. Lord, I pray that you would spur them, spur them to to a belief, spur them to give their lives, become followers of Christ, to join the rest of us, Lord, I pray. And may we be a congregation that is purposefully doing what we do in the name of Jesus. May his lordship be on display. And may this be a source of thanksgiving to us and to you. And we pray this in the name of our blessed Savior, Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me if you would? I told you at the beginning of the service that uh, we were going to leave a little bit of time for you to cruise the tables and to be a part of our connection fair, and we're going to do that right now. I can't help but think about a song that my church growing up sang so much I burned out on it, but the lyrics are good. First stanza, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him freely give. Let's do that this week. Amen. 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 All right. Go enjoy the fair. God's grace to you. Strength indeed is small. Child of weakness watching.